0: listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. We've been in this series talking about shaping faith. We are wrapping it up today, and we've been on a few messages that have really focused in on the idea of dying to our flesh or dying to our sinful nature. And for the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about how dying to our flesh or dying to our sinful nature, nature is really... Uh, The same, it's a churchy way of saying becoming less selfish, becoming less and less selfish and more and more like God. Like we start to care about the things God cares about, love the things that God loves, um, desire the things that God desires, and it's less about us and more about uh, being a kingdom-minded citizen. That's that's kind of a picture of dying to our flesh, all right? So this morning, the thing that we're going to wrap up with in this series is a subject that is... Really helpful to uh, for us as Christians to kind of practically die to our flesh, to practically practice dying to our sinful nature, because it's it's attached to something that's really uh, tangible and real and concrete. It's attached uh, by and large to our money and our finances, and so we're going to talk about generosity. And when we learn about generosity. We, we start to get a really good picture of what it means to, like, set aside our own wants and needs and desires for the benefit of others. And that's generosity. And so, um, as we're talking about generosity, I want to have in your mind kind of a couple of different positions that you can be generous from. First of all, we can be generous from our abundance, all right? And for a lot of us, in America in particular, uh, that's most often, not always, but it's most often the place that we're able to be generous from. Like our our needs are met and we can help others or be generous out of our extra, right? But other people and other times, we can be generous from a different position. We can be generous out of our lack, out of our poverty, when it doesn't make sense on paper, right? When things don't add up and it, it doesn't look like, we should be able to be generous. And, and when people are generous out of their lack, it really gets our attention, right? It, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like, wow, they're giving right now, like out of those that circumstance and that situation, like there's something about that. So whether it's out of our abundance or out of our poverty, there's a lot of things that we can learn about generosity. Um, All right. I still love you. I really thought that was like coming out of the speaker behind me. So I was like, I'm going to try and just focus through it and pretend like it's not there. So, yes. He said, let's be generous. All right. Back to where we were at. Uh, so no matter which position we're generous from, whether it's, ab- it's out of our abundance or out of our poverty, um, there's a lot we can learn and, and grow in and our walk and understand how to die to our flesh and be generous, and so uh, the apostle Paul was particularly fond of some Christians who were generous out of their lack, out of their um, extreme poverty and i 'm going to kind of break those down and talk to you a little bit about them this morning before I jump into that, I want to share a cool story with you. I heard a a story from one of our home groups that happened uh, not too long ago, just within the last month. There was a home group out in Colfax, and someone in the home group came into some money. And as a part of uh, working through uh, how they were going to spend that money and what they were going to do with it, they had really felt called and kind of like God was really pressing on them that, to be generous with it. And, and in particular, they really both as a couple felt like called to help a single parent. And so they brought it up at their home group and they had a home group discussion about it with other friends that go to church with them and talk with them. And, and as, as luck would have it, someone in the group uh, knew someone that worked at the city of Colfax. And they brought up the idea that, you know, um, I know from my friend at the city of Colfax, I think this other person had also worked there, kind of had some insider info. They said, you know, we know from experience that a lot of people oftentimes get behind on their water bill. And so maybe as an idea, um, maybe that would be a way to be generous to help somebody with that. And so this couple says, well, that's interesting. We would have never thought of that. Why don't you go track that down? And so one thing leads to another. They go meet with the city person. They track it down. They say, hey, someone in our home group that we go to church with and da-da-da. And they tell the story. And the person at the city says, you know, I've been thinking about your idea. And, and they got back to him on it and said, we were thinking about it. And, and the person that comes to mind that could really benefit from this, that's really behind on their water bill and is struggling to keep their water on is a single parent with four kids, right? As God would have things work out. And so this couple from the home group, they made arrangements to take care of it anonymously and they paid the bill and not only paid the bill, but they paid over what was owed. And so this person who is struggling to keep their water on goes in thinking that they're going to make a payment to just kind of keep afloat, much less deal with the overdue, and they find out that they don't have a bill anymore. And not only do they not have a bill anymore, they actually have a credit. And it's just how God works things out when we're generous. And, and it's awesome when we're generous out of our abundance, And God works when we're generous out of our abundance. But amazing amazing things happen as well when we're generous out of our poverty or out of our lack. Okay? Um, Paul like I mentioned, had a group of believers who he was extremely fond of. Like he uh, talked about often, he thought of often, he he spoke well of them and kind of just really highlighted them as he wrote to other churches. And And when you learn a little bit about who these people are and the kind of Christians they were, you'll understand why they sort of struck a special place in Paul's heart. So in the Book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8 and 9, Paul is writing to people in Corinth, and he's writing to them about people in Macedonia and he's talking to them about something that's happening in Jerusalem. Okay, so to kind of make sense of all this, let's look at this. So Jerusalem, red star over here. Corinth is the purple star. You kind of see where it's at, Macedonia to the north. Where the Thessalonica is, is one of the churches in Macedonia. There's Berea and Philippi. They're all right along that area, the coastal area where Thessalonica is and Corinth is down to the south. Just to help you have a frame of reference, that's 420 miles from Corinth up to Macedonia. And to give you an idea, from Daggy Hall to Vancouver, B.C. is 422 miles, okay? Just to give you a reference in your mind. Paul is writing to believers in Corinth. He's talking to them about believers in these churches in Macedonia, And he's talking about something that's happening in Jerusalem. So you're getting a picture in your mind of the geography and how this all connects. So what's going on is in Jerusalem there is a need, the believers in Jerusalem are experiencing uh, extreme poverty, extreme lack, extreme need for food and clothing and medical care and support. And so Paul is reaching out to the early churches that he had planted to the east, these, these brand new Christians that are just getting going and he's reaching out to them and he's sharing the news with them that there are people in Jerusalem in dire need of their generosity of their help of their actual support and so that that's what he's writing about the context that he's talking to them about and the the thing is you need to understand a little bit about Corinth and Macedonia to help this make actual, like really come to life for us. So in Corinth, it's a port city. It's, uh, there's great trade. There's businesses good there. The climate is good. The the financial climate is good. It's easy to make money in Corinth. In fact, it's a a Roman state. And so there's no uh, military presence there. And so if you've ever been to a third world country to a vacation place, and it's like the vacation place looks amazing, but if you drive like five miles inland away from the beachy resort stuff, there's people with machine guns and armored cars and stuff all over. But then when you get back into the resort part, it looks amazing, and you never see anybody carrying guns or like armored cars and stuff. It's because guys with guns and armored cars are bad for business, right? You don't feel safe. You don't feel like you can let your kids run around. You don't feel... Comfortable, But if you don't know that they're off at a distance, and that's kind of the, what Rome had done in Corinth. They, they pulled their military presence out strategically because it was good for business. The climate was good. The trade was good. Things were strong and the believers in Corinth were benefiting from that environment. Those are the people Paul's writing to. And then to the north, the people he's writing about, the the new believers in Macedonia and the churches to the north are are a very different situation. Much more rural, much more impoverished. It was uh, extreme military presence. They were under a lot of persecution. They were under uh, extreme poverty themselves, just barely eking out a living off the land. Uh, When Paul talks about them in this passage, he says some things, uh, he talks about their poverty and the words that he used uh, means that they had a poverty that's like a deep down bottom kind of poverty. It's this idea that they were just downright dirt Poor. And not only downright dirt poor, but the the words that he uses in the passage to talk about the severe affliction that they were suffering, it literally paints a picture. Uh, If you try to translate it accurately, it's it's something like um, they were uh, being squished under the pressure of life. Things were really, really hard for the believers in Macedonia. And so here we have Paul talking to new Christians in a variety of areas about this need in Jerusalem. And he's talking to the church in Corinth. He's writing to them and he's referencing these people to the north in Macedonia. So now as we jump into this passage, you have in your mind what they would have understood when they would have read this letter from Paul. Let's take a look at it. 2 Corinthians 8 starts off, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know that the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, uh, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people." And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we've got this picture of this church in Macedonia, these churches in Macedonia, these believers that are in this extreme poverty and they're, they're giving in such a way, Paul talked about their giving in such a way that um, out of their uh, uh, overflowing or out of their abundant joy, And their extreme poverty, kind of a crazy thing. Abundant joy, extreme poverty, he says, out of that overflowed rich generosity. And he's not talking about they wrote a lot of nice letters. He's talking about they showed up with a gift. Like they rallied. Out of those circumstances, they rallied. And he's like, they... They had extreme generosity, even in this time of severe affliction, that when he talks about the the way that they gave according to their means, but even beyond their means, what he meant was uh, in, in a way that was contrary to their means. And so it's this idea that they were giving in a way that was contrary to what their checkbook balance meant, right? Like it didn't make sense on paper, that kind of giving, but they gave anyway, and then he goes on to say how they actually were begging to take part in giving and supporting the needs of the saints, the, the, the offering that was being taken up in Jerusalem. They were begging to take part in that. It's almost like you get this idea of, here's Paul who started these churches and who has a deep affection and love for them and knows real people in them. They weren't just distant, like unknown people. He has relationship with people there. He understands the circumstances they're in and how hard their life is and how much persecution they're suffering. It's almost like he, he almost kinda humbly asks, but almost doesn't wanna ask for them to participate in helping the believers in Jerusalem. But he asks, and then what happens is the gift that they rally together and and generate, the amount of money they give, like according to their means and beyond their means, they exceeded their expectations. There was like, it's almost like you get an idea of Paul, like this picture of Paul going, seeing the gift or hearing about the amount of the gift and going, oh, wait a minute. That's too much. Like, you guys are in pretty serious situation yourselves like that this this is too much but then you have these people in Macedonia going "No, no 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 you don't understand we want to give yeah but like you're in a really hard situation and they're like pleading with him don't Take away our joy. Don't take away the honor of letting us be a part of helping our brothers and sisters. Yes, we've got it tough. Yes, things are hard. Yes, things are not that great. But don't take away this honor and privilege that we can participate in something that our God is asking us to be a part of. Like, don't stop us from giving. And it's like Paul Paul sort of just has to stand back and go, whoo. That's a whole new level of rubber meets the road, real Christians right here. Like I know how they live and I'm seeing what they give and it's pretty stinking cool. And he's kind of overwhelmed and he's kind of touched by it to the point that he's talking about them in a real practical way to these believers in Corinth. He's like, I don't know if you guys know this, but this is what's going on up in Macedonia. They are giving and exceeding our expectations. Then he goes on. Let's finish up this passage. He says, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of love of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sake, he became poor so that, um, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so he's, he's doing this, he's painting this picture for him. He's like, he's first of all telling him the, the piece with Titus. He's first of all telling him, um, We're going to send Titus to finish what he started. What he's referencing is about a year prior, Paul had reached out to the churches and started to spread the word about the need in Jerusalem. And the church in Corinth was one of the first churches to respond with like a pledge of goodwill. Like as they heard about the need in Jerusalem, the believers in Corinth were some of the first ones to respond saying, hey, let us know when and where we need to send money. Let us know when and where, how we need to help, right? Like we're in, and so Paul's saying, we're gonna send Titus and we're gonna ask Titus to finish what he started. Like he was a part of letting the, helping the word get out that they needed help and they're sending him. And he's like, we're hoping that he's gonna finish what he started actually collecting on the commitments that you made, right? And, and he goes on to say some pretty amazing things about the church in Corinth. He goes on to say like, essentially, what he's saying to him is you guys are amazing. He goes like, I don't know if you realize this, but you, it seems like you're awesome at everything. Among you, there are people who are great speakers. There are people who have deep and abiding and co- this high committed level of faith. There, you're known for your sincerity, your earnestness and your love for God and love for other people. Like your reputation is preceding you. You guys are awesome at so many things, he's saying to them. And he gives them the little nudge. I hope and pray that you will follow through and be as awesome at giving as you are in so many other ways. By the way, did I mention what's going on in Macedonia? Right? That's kind of the, this tension that Paul's working with. He's working with this tension of like balancing out, like like not trying to strong arm them. He says, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm not guilt tripping you to give. But I I don't want to take lightly that, that this generosity is so important. And he says, and he's like, having experienced what he has experienced and knowing what he knows about the believers in Macedonia, he can't help but share their story, right? If I think if any one of us was there, if any one of us had firsthand experience to what the Macedonian churches were going through and could have a picture in our mind and had personal stories and connection with people that were in an environment like that, and then to watch from at the outside as they rallied together and showed up with a gift, I don't think any of us would be able to stop talking about it either it'd be like, holy cow, that's amazing. That's what Paul was doing. He's like, he's like I'm, not, I'm not trying to beat you over the head with it, but I just can't not tell you about how awesome and amazing these believers are in Macedonia and how much they want to participate in it. Will you please follow through on what you said? Now, here's the cool thing. I think in our church, I could say the same thing. That Paul said about the church in Corinth, like our church is full of amazing, awesome, gifted, talented people who are great at so many different things, and as a body, we have so many skills and resources and uh, and talent that people are actually using for the kingdom, right? Like we have doctors and nurses and professors and teachers and scientists and researchers and students, and we have amazing moms and dads who are going all in to raise their kids to follow Jesus. Like we have awesome, awesome people that make up our family at Real Life here in, our, here in, in Pullman and beyond, right? Like, like we have amazing, talented people we also have people that are generous. We have people that have been so generous that are a part of this congregation and a part of this church. I don't know if you guys um, realize that we do a benevolence ministry every week. And uh, the benevolence ministry, if you're not familiar with that, that's a a ministry that uh, is funded by your tithes and offerings A chunk of that money goes to support our weekly benevolence ministry. And what that ministry does is it helps supply um kind of like emergency needs for people in our own congregation and people outside of our church that don't have anything to do with us that are just live in our town. And so every Wednesday that ministry is staffed at our offices with a number of people that volunteer in it, and people come in. either from our congregation or from the community that need help with practical things, like they're behind on a Vista bill or they're behind on a water bill or uh, they are strapped between rent or whatever, all these different things that happen in life as, as life happens. And our benevolence ministry helps these people. And as they're helping these different people one of the things they do is they reach out and they talk to a lot of different people in different community agencies. They, they call the Department of Family and Health Services to coordinate things. They connect with Avista VISTA to coordinate bills. They work with Community Action here and in other areas. And they make phone calls and they collaborate and connect. And one of the things that's interesting is that it's a thing that happens all the time, is they make these phone calls and they start the phone call off with, I'm so-and-so from real life in Pullman and blah, blah, blah. And before they can finish their story about what they're trying to f- connect and get help with, the person on the other end tells them a real life story <laughs> and starts to tell them about, here's what I, you know, this happened, or I know about, oh yeah, I've heard of your church before, such and such and such. When they're telling a real life story, they're telling a one of you story. I hope you understand that. It's not about anybody knowing what the name of the church is. It's about people knowing Jesus followers that live in our town that are actually walking the walk. And so they hear these life, uh, lifer stories, you know? The funny ones that crack me up is they call Avista to pay an Avista bill and they get a Vista customer service land somewhere, right? And it's a somebody in Spokane or Coeur d'Alene or who knows where the call center is. And a, a random person that's answering the phone to deal with bills at Avista talks to a person that's volunteering their time in Pullman, Washington to help somebody. And this person in customer service land says, yeah, I have heard of you guys. When you're generous, word travels fast and in a good way. Like our church has a great reputation. You, as a family of people and Christians in our community, have a great reputation of being generous. And for that, I'm super proud and I'm super grateful, right? Um, you all know we did the offering back at Easter, and we took up an offering to pitch in to, to, to do this idea. We're trying to be creative. We're trying to like, let's not wait for people to come to Benevolence when they're in an emergency. Let's get creative and go outside the walls of Benevolence and outside the walls of our church, and let's look for people that are in need and see if God can't help hook us up with people that need blessed, that need help, right? And so we've reached out to area daycares, and so you know that we paid, that's my granddaughter. Sorry, she's sort of awesome. <laughs> We've reached out, and uh, one of the things we did is we reached out to daycares, and I told you a few weeks ago about that gal, the single mom that we helped, and we paid a couple of months of daycare for her and she's got three kids, and, and it blew her socks off. Well, as, as God would have it, in God's way that he always does in amazing things, uh, one of her coworkers is one of our diehard lifers that's all in, and she's having conversations with her now. And they're talking, it opened up the door that you might be the type of a person that I might actually like to get to know if you're a part of a place like that. And so that started conversations. And so now we've got Corbin, who's our youth guy that was up here, is reaching out to one of her kids, trying to connect with them and have some fun and break the ice to invite him to come to summer camp who someone has already volunteered to pay for. Right? Uh, last week I got to take uh, one of the guys from our church, Travis, with me, and we got to go um, take uh, more money that came in from that Easter offering to help people with, with their daycare stuff. Like, darn it, we had to figure out how to help more people. And so Travis and I went up to a different daycare that we had coordinated with, and when I was talking to the lady weeks in advance, trying to collaborate and figure out who would, who would we help and how many people could we help and all that stuff, they got back to me and they said, you know, we're sort of embarrassed to even tell you this um, because we we talked about it and as we really went through all our families that are in need i know you were probably only wanting to help like one or two people but we ended up with like five people that really need help and like i know you can't probably help them all but can i tell you their stories and they tell me the stories of all these people and we look at the numbers and and we crunch it all down and i'm like well here's the deal God's been really gracious to us, and our people have been really generous. And as God would have it, we have enough. Let's help all five. So you guys got to pitch in and, and knock out daycare. Now, let me tell you this one story. is really cool. There's a single mom who uh, is divorced, has an ex-husband that's supposed to be paying the daycare bill as a part of their agreement. Um, he did for a while, and then he didn't. And then he didn't for a long time and it got complicated and difficult and messy and her bill was accruing and accruing and accruing and she had hundreds and hundreds of dollars owed that was way beyond her means to take care of. She was scraping just to stay current on her part. We got to sit down with her. Travis and I sat down with her and talked with her about who we are as a church and who our God is and why we're generous because our God loves us and sees us and cares about us. And we got to hand her a check that paid her whole bill off pretty cool. We sat down with uh, Jaylene and her three kids. Little Trinity down there sat in the room with us and we got to sit in front of Trinity and talk to her mom about who God is and what it means for us to follow the Lord and be generous and love people well and hand her a check and pay for her daycare for the month and we got to pay for another single dad's daycare that's hustling and making money and we paid his off and uh, I've got one more check in my desk for a family that we haven't connected with yet because we're trying to coordinate the schedule and stuff like all of that came from just one hey if you've got five bucks in your pocket throw it in the amount of lives that were touched from just that's just easy generosity was amazing and so we're going to wrap up, and as we wrap up, we're going to uh, do something a little bit different to finish the service this morning. We're going to kind of look at some opportunities to um, be generous, like the Macedonians, to to give according to our means, and to look how to learn how to dig deep and go beyond. All right. And so uh, right now, what we're going to do is serve communion. And so if you're serving communion, if you would help with that right now. Um, at real life, when we take communion, we have what we call an open table. And that just means that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is welcome to take communion with us. And then uh, as the trays are passed, just hold on to things, and then we'll take communion together in a minute, all right? Okay, so in your notes, and then up on the screen, they'll be up here too, but in your notes are the, the details that I'm gonna go over as well. These are... Opportunities for generosity, to make sure we're all aware of these things. The first one is um, tithe on your income, 10%, right? As we are faithful to tithe, it gives us as a church the resources to do ministry, to serve people in our community. Um, a lot of you have heard the stories about the duplex, how we have this duplex that we use for ministry where foster families are meeting and doing support groups. It's a place where families who have had their kids removed because of whatever circumstances, and they're in the process of putting their families back together, they needed a place that felt like home to do their visits. That place is booked up all week, all the time, with families from our community who are trying to figure out how to get their life back together. And that place, that building, is a tool that helps them have a family environment, a living room, toys to play with, stuff to, to feel like a mom and a dad, and not sit in a mcdonald 's playland. that ministry that we do, that outreach to our community, is funded by your tithe. Our benevolence ministry is funded by your tithe. Next one sponsor a student for camp the Guys' addresses, email addresses are in your notes and up on the screen, but you can track down Corbin in the lobby afterwards. Um, here's the thing. There are kids right now who would love to go to camp, but the obstacle is money. It's just, that's just plain and simple, right? Like it's just, they can't swing it. And there are kids who are going to camp who have friends that they would desperately love to come to camp with them, but they can't afford it. So if you can pitch in, if you can sponsor a kid, if you can kick in and say, hey, I'll pay for half of two kids, or let me pay for one kid, come talk to Corbin, and he'll help you out. Those are amazing, awesome ways to be like practically generous. Last one, help us establish our emergency food room. Um, in the lobby, there's going to be tags. And what we're doing is, one of the things we've found is we've had this benevolence ministry and an office and a physical presence in Pullman is that um, people in our church and in our community come to us for help, which is cool. This is where we should come for help. Right, And so as they come to us for help, they have a need for uh, stuff like I talked about, for a Vista or a rent or all that kind of stuff. But one of the, one of the things that people have a need for that really hits home with everybody on the Benevolence team and, and anybody when you hear about it is like, this isn't about somebody working the system or do they really need help with this or do they really need help with that? Like they have a way to vet that and check it and there's checks and balances. But the, the real hard ones are when people come in and they're like, I don't need help with an Invista bill. I'm way past that. I don't have any food tonight. My kids are getting up tomorrow and if they don't eat at school, they won't eat. And we're going into that time where school's about to get out and our need to help families goes up because it's not being met at school. We have people that come in that just don't flat have anything to eat. And so we're going to put together a emergency food room, uh, utilizing space out of that duplex that you guys are all pitching in to help us provide. And we're going to start with being able to provide emergency meals for people that are in a bind, whether it's someone in our own church or someone in our community. If somebody's in a pickle, we want to have their back practically and help Feed them for the day, for the night, for the weekend, and so in the lobby uh, by the door when you're going out, there's going to be some like clothesline things hung up on the wall with little tags. There's all kinds of ways that you can participate, simple ways that require no money. You can just like things in specific times to pray, specific people to pray for, and then there's stuff like three cans of chili. Pull the tag, tells you what to do with it and where to bring it on the tag. Real simple. And in the weeks to come, as we get it rolling, we'll come back and say, okay, we've got it rolling. Here's our holes. And there'll be more opportunities to pitch in on just small scale generosity, which if, if the benefit of our blessing the people in the daycare has been any sign of what everybody pitching in and doing a little bit uh, has showed us, like the, it's a, who knows what's going to happen with the food room thing. I don't know where it'll be down the road but for right now we want to just put our boots on the ground and help people that need food when they need food and all of us can pitch in and help with that so this morning we're going to wrap up with communion together and we're going to remind remember that we have a generous God who was willing to give his son on our behalf to not only pay our debt like that person's water bill was paid, but to give us a credit. More than just a clean slate, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit when we put our faith and trust in Christ. We get to be recognized as sons and daughters, heirs to the throne with Jesus because of what he did for us. And we remember that when we take communion. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, as often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, the cup represents the new covenant, which is his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So as often as we drink this, let's remember him. God, thank you for being generous. Thank you for loving us well. Not only for your son and the sacrifice he made to pay our debt once and for all, but Lord, for your spirit that we can have a relationship with you. God help us to continue to grow in our generosity, decrease in our selfishness, and increase in how people see you in us. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.